0: Welcome to the third episode of Perik Pod, part of the Orthodox Union's Daily Devar series, found every day of the week on ou.org forward slash Devar. I'm Rabbi Yechiel Schaffer, the host of Perik On Pod. If you enjoyed the discussion we're about to have, please consider subscribing to this podcast through Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This will be a space guided by a guest scholar to study together the teachings of rabbinic wisdom recorded in the book of Pirkei Avot, and to explore how the wisdom of rabbis living over two millennia ago continues to shape Jewish life and ideas until today. Rabbi Zev Goldberg is the senior rabbi of the Young Israel of Fort Lee in Northern New Jersey He is the vice-president of the now-famous Rabbinical Council of Bergen County, who set the tone for the rabbinic response to the COVID crisis, and also happens to be one of my oldest friends. Rav Zev, tell us something about yourself that will help us understand more about you and the ideas we are about to discuss.
1: First of all, Rav Yechiel, thank you very much for inviting me to join you on this wonderful program. In terms of my own background, as you know well, we've been good friends for many years. We went to high school together, to our Academy of Bergen County, going back many years by now. Uh, after TABC, I went to uh, Yeshiva Karbi where I studied for two years, and then went to WAU for undergrad, and got my smicha at REITS. Spent four years in Los Angeles surfing, actually. I uh, spent four years in Los Angeles as the assistant rabbi at Young Israel yeah, was
0: no way you
1: <laughs> was of uh, Century City, which was an incredibly formative, formative experience for me. And uh, since 2014, I've been the rabbi at Young Israel of Fort Lee, which has been a wonderful, wonderful six years. And I also spent my afternoon's teaching at Berea High School for Girls, another w- wonderful experience that I treasure each day that I'm there.
0: Could I ask you to speak a little bit about your experience in your position as the vice president of the RCBC has played such a central role in uh, dictating how the community has reacted to the current crisis?
1: Sure. It's been really a joy. And I use that word deliberately, uh, even though there's nothing joyous about going through this pandemic. But one of the very positive experiences for me, and I think for many on the RCBC, has been to see the way uh, Rabbanim respect each other and work in tandem. Over the past few months, it really has been breathtaking to see how community rabbis have um, been able to join together, have a unified voice, and lead trying to be ahead of the curve.
0: I hope we're going to explore that more together as we discuss your thoughts on Pirkei Avot. One of our goals here is not only to talk about the ideas that are written in Avos, but we'll talk about regarding how they apply to our lives today. So I asked you here to examine together the second chapter of Pirkei Avot. Could we start with you sharing your three most compelling ideas three most exciting ideas uh, that resonate with you from the second chapter
1: sure the second chapter is filled with such beautiful ideas that it's very hard to identify my three top compelling rabbinic dictums but i'll share with you three that resonate very strongly with me today Uh, the first is based on the first mishnah in avos rabbi omer ezohi derech ishara she yivor loha adam what is the appropriate path for man to pick? And the answer that Rabbi gives is whatever brings splendor to the person and brings splendor upon the person. In other words, something that is meaningful to do and something that people appreciate that is being done. The Rambam says that this path refers to the golden mean, the Derech Hamemutza. The golden mean, this middle path, is not one of mediocrity, but uh, one of exceptionalism, learning to balance different needs in life, different characteristic traits, and keeping them all balanced in the right proportion is actually a lifelong struggle. And that idea jumps out at me right now, as we're in the midst of uh, a very challenging time with uh, many different Tasks that we are being told to do, uh, tasks that we don't usually do, and the need to keep a healthy balance and be exceptional along the way really jumps out at me. There are two other ideas. The Mishnah tells us that according to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, if a person learns much Torah, so they're not supposed to be arrogant. The Mishnah says, Torah harbei, al-tachazik tova la'atzmecha. Don't feel too good about yourself. Kila That's why you were created. And the idea of humility that must emerge from learning Torah, not one of arrogance and pompousness, but the idea that the more one submerges oneself in the world of Torah, the more humility emerges as well. I always found that idea to be so very beautiful. And uh, the last idea... <laughs> There's so many to choose from. The last idea that jumps out at me is the teaching of Rabbi Shimon in the 13th Mishnah. Rabbi Shimon Omer, have a Zahir kriyat shema u'bitzvila. Be careful with kriyat shema and davening. uke al Don't make your davening routine. And that's hard these days because life feels like we're on the cast of a Groundhog Day constantly repeating itself in somewhat of a one-dimensional way. And the difficulty of davening uh, and not making it seem like it's so routine is challenging, and the mission is calling on us to make davening a multi-dimensional activity, uh, even when we find it uh, hard to do so.
0: I see a commonality between all of them, which I think is a a good framework for us to begin the conversation. Finding the middle path, finding the the balance in life is obviously uh, critical at any moment in our lives. As you mentioned, right now it feels even more extreme uh, considering the circumstances we're living in. Um, And the two ideas that you shared uh, are following that first idea. Uh, Both speak about our context that we function within, right? So when you study Torah, you begin to understand both how little you understand and you begin to understand how great and how complex the Word of God is, uh, that the sea of Torah is. So you, you build for yourself the community of commentaries that you're constantly engaged with. Rav Soloveitch in one of his speeches famously spoke about inviting various personalities into the room when he was teaching about those personalities. And so you build for yourself that community of personalities that you're learning with the Rambam and the Ramban, the Rush and the Riff and, and Shulchan Aruch. You're engaged in that community. And then the final idea that you shared uh, is really one Uh, that is an idea that's steeped in community, right? Tefillah is all about being involved in community. And now we're having, we're being mitpalel, we're davening uh, Badafka not in a community, Uh, we're davening alone. Uh, So there's a lot to reflect upon within those three ideas that specifically relate to now and specifically relate to the context within which we connect with others.
1: Absolutely. You know, something that also I've been thinking about is how each of those teachings can enhance the other one. In other words, you know, how do you avoid making your tefillah routine? How do you avoid feeling like you're on Groundhog Day? And one of the answers is to continue to learn Torah, because the more you're able to engage in Torah study, and that means different things for different people, for some people it's doing Dafiomi. For some people, it's opening up a a Tanakh. And for some people, it's reading from the Kuzari. I'm just throwing out three examples. But the more you're able to keep your mind focused on Torah, so the more you're able to also have a dynamic relationship with Hashem. And a dynamic relationship in learning, I do believe, will help with more of a dynamic relationship with tefillah. Some of my most meaningful tefillahs that I have had have been specifically after after learning, I find that I dive in better after I learn. So I I, I wonder if Rabbi Yochanan Zaka would tell us, "Don't be arrogant, but keep going at it. Find different avenues of connection, and that will enhance your tefillah. And you can also use that as a springboard to try to find the right balance with other midos, as much as we're being." hold in different directions use torah as an anchor to to make sure that you are excelling but also keeping yourself in check
0: obviously i agree with you uh, utilizing the torah as an anchor to shape your perspective on the world uh, and to reassure you during these uncertain times is very helpful i have also found very helpful opportunity to explore new hobbies and and new ideas so I just read the autobiography of Andre Agassi. Was it good? Um, yeah, it, it was It was surprisingly good. Uh, it offered an insight into his life and his success. Anyone who lived through the 90s saw a particular side of the battle between Sampras and Agassi. And uh, now, years later, reading, decades later, reading what was really going on internally with him um, has offered so much perspective for me. I think I may have a Rosh Hashanah drusher ready already uh, out of it. It's definitely an opportunity not only to uh, re-examine your relationship with the Torah, uh, but to engage in the world in a new way. Let's continue examining the second chapter. As we've been talking about, Right, you and I working in the rabbinate, We combine our spiritual mission. um, We combine our commitment to deepening our spiritual lives, to enabling others to have spiritual lives with our professional lives. And it's a big blessing. I know you feel the same way. That being said... The second, the second chapter also talks about, introduces the concept of Yafa Talmud Torah im Derech Eretz. Uh, now there's a number of different understandings to what Derech Eretz is. I'm curious how you read the Mishnah that introduces that concept, Yafa Talmud Torah im Derech Eretz. It's such an
1: important Mishnah. You know, Rav Hirsch's entire theology, in a way, is based on that Mishnah. Yafa Talmud Torah im Derech Eretz. And Rav Hirsch read it as a call to combine Torah study with culture, with secular education, um, as a proud graduate of Yeshiva University, you know, that reading certainly resonates with me, that a person's immersion in the secular world can actually complement one's Torah education. I was just giving a share in my shul about uh, Rav Lichtenstein um, and how Rav Lichtenstein also Advocated for this approach of of a worldliness, but not worldliness for the sake of worldliness. Worldliness for the sake of complementing and enhancing one's Torah study. He had a PhD from Harvard
0: Harvard, in English literature, right? Harvard.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The problem is that that's a really high bar to reach, and it also is one that's fraught with challenges. You know, every life, every decision in life is fraught with challenges. Keeping your children locked up inside a a ghetto or a bubble also has challenges. But I think that right now, at least pre COVID, sending our children off to secular institutions for the sake of uh, enhancing one's appreciation for the secular world is not a simple decision. And I don't want to take this conversation down a, down a path that we don't intend on, on fleshing out fully. But as you ask me, what do I think about? I think about Yafet, Hamatora, and Charetz. I think a lot about engaging in a secular world for the sake of complementing and enhancing one's Torah personality. I also acknowledge that that's hard and it's risky. So it's important to take note that many of the Mefarshim understand Charetz as Tikkun Hamidos. It doesn't mean...
0: Yeah, the, the Me'iri, I think the Me'iri is the most famous. Yes, of yes, them. it doesn't oh, mean
1: necessarily that everybody ought to be going to Harvard as, as aggressively as they try to recruit me. Uh, it doesn't mean that everybody is uh, meant to be going <laughs> Remember, to Harvard. Remember, I know you
0: from high school, and I know that's, that's not
1: true. true. So it's true, but but it, it does it, it open itself to other types of interpretations. So, Yafet Imder can also mean, perhaps in a more shot oriented fashion, that a Torah personality must be complemented by a very, very rich and robust set of midos. I, again, just drawing upon Rav Lichtenstein, because I just spoke about him at length in a Pirkei year. we're just now commemorating his fifth yorot site. There are some extraordinary stories about his midos. Forget about his erudition and scholarship. But one story that I like to tell, it always gets me in trouble at shul. Uh, Julie Berman wrote in a Jewish action after Rav Lichtenstein passed away, that Rav Lichtenstein would oftentimes stay at Julie's house for his trips to the States, which was lovely, but Julie said he had one complaint. And his one complaint was that Rav Lichtenstein always made Julie look bad, because as soon as Rav Lichtenstein finished his dinner, he got up, washed his plate, and put it back where it started before dinner. So Julie reflects how Rav Lichtenstein <laughs> made him look so bad. The fact that he wasn't helping more in the kitchen. That's just one little vignette. All of the uh, husbands in the room sort of chuckle and squirm when I tell that story. Uh, but it's a reflection of Yafet Hamit Torah uh, in Derek It's the beauty of having shiny midos as a, as a complement, a different type of complement, but a complement to a Torah personality.
0: It's certainly a challenge, whichever way you interpret it, whether it's combining Torah and Mada. Torah and general knowledge, having that deepen your appreciation of the world and your understanding of the world. Or as you're also talking about the meiri's understanding that Derek eretz refers to tikkun hamidos, to character development. To have met someone like Rav Lichtenstein, uh, I also had one or two very humbling experiences with him. He lived, and was an example of both of those interpretations of Derek eretz. We could probably use another approach to understanding what Derek Hetz is, which is the world we live in, right? understanding uh, the, the context, the framework, uh, the culture within w- which we operate. The third missioner in this chapter offers us commentary on how we should approach our local officials. What should our attitude be towards the government? How should we work with the government? How should we lobby the government? I was wondering if your attitude or your understanding of this Mishnah has changed in light of your recent experience as the VP of the RCBC.
1: Yeah, this is a really important and timely topic. I can tell you that I think the Mishnah is speaking of a great distrust that uh, the Jewish people have long had for governments and for good reason. Right now, we find ourselves in the time of mourning during the Omer because of uh, terrible calamities that have befallen the Jewish people specifically at this time. There's a good reason.
0: Yeah, the Chamanetsky Master. Yeah, that, that and also during during the, the, yeah, the Crusades. Others, Crusades. And there's
1: good reason to be distrustful. And the fact that the Mishnah says, have zehirin Zahirin birushus. you should be careful with government, that they only bring you close when they need you, and they will reject you when it's not helpful. I completely understand that. But I I, I do think it's important to say Rabbi Echiel that right now, my experience has been completely the opposite. Locally in Fort Lee, uh, we are blessed with a wonderful mayor, who is uh, deeply concerned about all of the borough's citizens. Uh, we have a wonderful working relationship with the mayor. There's a WhatsApp group of all of the clergy men and clergy women, um, religious, you know, does no, no difference about uh,
0: of all religions of
1: all religions exactly. And we feel that the mayor is sincerely concerned about Jews and Gentiles alike. And I have I have not heard anything different from any of my colleagues in the Bergen County area. We are very, very blessed to live at a time where uh, religious observance is uh, by and large welcomed and certainly not uh, discriminated against. You know, there certainly have been, uh, there are, I should say, other groups of Orthodox Jews that I think still carry the weight of this Mishnah on their shoulders. They look at the government as being a place of distrust of discrimination, and they are very wary of guide, of being guided by the government. And you certainly cannot blame those groups. I personally don't feel like we live in a time where that's an appropriate behavior. But I understand where it comes from.
0: I do see a way to read this Mishnah a little less cynically. I understand the obvious reading of the Mishnah is cynical. Politicians are only interested in their... Uh, re-election, right? what benefits them. Uh, I think understanding the terminology is kind of just very practical information. Be diligent. Be engaged. Uh, lobby your local officials. And, and one of the great benefits, one of the great uh, and unique features of America of the time that we live in is that uh, we don't have, maybe it hasn't always been true, but we don't have that kind of cynical, um, poisonous relationship with local officials. It's the, I think the quote from Fiddler on the Roof is, may the, uh, bless the czar, that may he stay very far away from me. Uh, something to that effect. Yes, something uh, so we those don't lines. have that relationship, right? We're, we're very closely connected to local and state and federal politicians, and the Jewish community is very integrated, very connected. But I think the advice still stays true, which is have a hearing right? Be diligent, be careful, and understand that in the end of the day, firstly, we have to be rel- reliant on HaKadosh Baruch Hu, um, which I think is an important message. We can't turn to officials uh, exclusively. And, and we have to have a relationship with our officials as, you've been, as you spoke about.
1: Yeah, yeah. And we have to remember how grateful we ought to be, that we don't live at a time when this Mishnah has the same resonance as it has had for for hundreds if not thousands of years.
0: The events of our time kind of reframes the Mishnah a little bit, although obviously politics have been really fraught in recent history. So let's move on to another subject. Let's talk about the experience of being a rabbi and something that is, I guess, teased out in the perek very slightly or subtly, a Later, Mishnah in the Perek talks about the benefits of spending time with the wise and the possible detriments of spending time with those that are wise. The Mishnah says it's both good to sit by the fire of the wise, uh, but it's also, uh, it can be dangerous to spend too much with those who are wiser than us. Mm-hmm. How do you understand that, Mishnah?
1: I understand that Mishnah, uh, similar to a mashal that Rabbin Yonah offered on this Mishnah that Chachamim, uh, Tamide are like a fire. If you stay too far away up from the fire, so you won't be warmed by its warmth. If you get too close, you get burned. So I think that we need to treat our Tamide the same way. There needs to be a tremendous amount of closeness, intimacy, with a warmth to be warmed by Rabbanim and their care and concern and their erudition. But there also needs to be a healthy distance. Rabbanim are not supposed to be our friends. They're supposed to be friendly, but not our friends. And I read the Mishnah Pirkei Avos was telling us, get close, be warmed by their warmth, but also understand that the relationship needs a healthy dose of ema, a healthy dose of reverence. In order for the relationship to work correctly
0: this concept the idea that you can both be close to someone who is a chacham someone who is wise but also have to have a reverence of those who are wise is i think novel in the world that we live in Uh, we have such exposure to quote unquote the stars of our world uh, there's very little that's left private and we have such connections to to the celebrities of our world. Uh, the concept of having fear or having distance from those who are brilliant at what they do, those who are wiser than us, is a novel concept. Is there anyone in your experience, anyone, whether rabbinically or, or when you were in yeshiva, anyone who strikes you who uh, fit this category?
1: Well, I've certainly heard people talk about their interactions with Rabbi Saloveitchik uh, in those terms. You know, people talk about the fear of being called on a fear and how the Rev would tear apart what people had to say and when they would lean the Gemara. Just one example. Or have, or, or the type of reverence they would show to the Rebbe walking in to have a conversation to be Shoal Eitzah, to ask for advice.
0: I, I'll tell you, but that, but, Zev, I'll tell you, Rev Berzim, Rev Zaria who was my Rosh shiva in Meva Seret, uh, was in Rusal Shir, and he shared with us a story that captures the fear that you're talking about, apparently you you needed to be prepared to read at a moment's notice in the Rav's share. He would point to someone and you had to read the Gemara and you had to be prepared to the level where you had to read it flawlessly. And if you didn't, if you made a mistake, it it would not be a a pleasant experience. He was very critical of those who he perceived as underprepared. My father, by the way, says Nechama Leibowitz was the same. If you came to class without a chumash, if you came to class without knowing the context of the story of what she was teaching, she was also just very, very critical. You have to be prepared as a student. So Rav Berzan Berzan shares the story that one day he came to class, and what Rav Soloveitchik used to do is he would just stick out his finger and point to a person, and that person would have to read. So Mm -hmm. Rav Soloveitchik stuck out his finger and pointed and the first person he pointed to leaned over to, you know, pick something up, quote-unquote. You know, he pretended to pick something up. And then the guy was completely unprepared because he was sitting behind the person before him. So he also leaned over to pick. And and you had this, like, dominoes all the way back of people That's leaning over. Funny. And Rav Bazin said that Rav stopped and he said, what is this, bowling pins today? That's funny. Which I think captures both that era and that that fear and the warmth that you're talking about that he can recognize in the moment that people are really afraid of having to read right now and he can also be light-hearted and warm about sure. it he, he's not wasn't harsh in that sure moment.
1: it's also a model of european rabbanim that we don't have very much nowadays you know every generation needs its own type of rabbanim i think uh, even older rabbanim don't carry themselves in the same way as the european model of rabbanim carry themselves it's a different flavor of yira it's a different flavor of reverence but it's absolutely still there if i was going to have a meeting with uh, one of my rabbeim or of for example uh, i certainly wouldn't go wearing a polo shirt and shorts you know you're going to interact with uh, a torah scholar it needs to be done with uh, a yira. So there's a balance, but what that reverence and awe looks like definitely does change through the years.
0: The world we live in, as you spoke about, it's not a natural feature of our relationships with people. Okay, Uh, we've had a really interesting uh, chat together. I want to give you the opportunity uh, to share some final thoughts, uh, not only as a rabbi, uh, right? You're a community rabbi, rabbi of a very special community, Uh, in a neighborhood that has really, in a county that has really been very hard hit uh, uh, by the coronavirus. Uh, And so uh, we obviously, uh, we wish you and your community really well in the coming weeks, in the coming months. Um, Pirkei Alvis is a deeply personal limit. It's a deeply, deeply personal study. Uh, It gives you an opportunity to reflect yourself on your own values and the things that you want to be true about your life. So I was wondering if you would take a minute just to reflect upon ha- what what Pir-Ti-El-Vos means to you, uh, maybe a lesson from this chapter that has impacted you deeply uh, as you uh, grow as a person who wants to make a continued impact on your community and ultimately in your own life.
1: Hillel says the following. Don't judge your friend until you walk in his shoes. I once heard a very creative interpretation, I heard it from Rav Shai who I think himself was quoting from somebody else, that perhaps you can understand this as saying, don't judge someone until you go to that person's house, until you go to their home. Because it's one thing to be a kind, balanced individual when you're in public. It's much harder when you're alone behind closed doors with just your family. And right now, we, we're living behind closed doors under very stressful times, a lot of different pulls, uh, a lot of different emotional needs that we have to have. And we have to remember that it's actually ultimately how we act amongst our family that makes the greatest impact. That's what Hilo is telling us. You don't judge someone until you see the way they are with their family. It's something that I I think about personally very often. You know, if my balabatim were able to turn on a video camera and see me in the confines of my own home, would I be proud of that or would I I be embarrassed? And I think that's uh, something we all need to think about. These are trying times and we should try as best to be proud of how we're acting in our homes and uh, not ultimately embarrassed about the way we we, we, we handle the situation.
0: Let me ask you one sure. last question. Uh, what, what do you hope to be true about the future? Um, as we begin to hopefully, uh, flatten the curve and, and see, uh, people slowly come out of their homes, uh, what do you hope will be true about the Jewish community? going I forward?
1: hope that whatever lessons Hashem is trying to tell us and teach us through this experience, I hope those lessons won't be lost. I hope that when this passes, and it will, we don't just revert back to the way that we were. I don't know why people are suffering and why the world has shut down. I don't, from a theological perspective, of course. I don't know why it's happening, but I know that Hashem is pushing us to be better and to be more thoughtful about different areas of life. And I'm really hopeful that when we do come back to shul, it won't be as the same people that we were right before the shuls had to close.
0: Thank you, Rav Zev, for joining us this week. Uh, As I mentioned before, we wish you and your community uh, and Bergen County, uh, we wish you very well. Uh, We thank you and your colleagues for your rabbinic leadership throughout this crisis. Um, And we'd like to thank our listeners for making the time while all of our lives have been turned upside down by the corona crisis. If you enjoyed this program, please subscribe to this podcast on Perik On A Pod through Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Thank you to the Orthodox Union for supporting programs like these. For more programs, including Torah study and mental health programs, visit ou.org forward slash Devar. And for more information on this new podcast and for a way to contact myself or contact Rabbi Goldberg, if you have any questions or thoughts to share with us, please visit our website, perekonapod.com. This has been Perak on a Pod. I'm Rabbi Yechiel Schaffer. We've been studying ancient wisdom through modern eyes.